Do you want to know what the bottom of an avatar's shoe looks like? No. Stop it. We're going now. Welcome to Abnormal Mapping, episode 76. I am your host, M. With me is my regular co-host, Jackson Tyler. I'm from the future. So, we're recording this on the 22nd. Most of this episode will have been recorded on the 26th of last month? I think so. I think so. Yes. Did we play no. The Floor is Jelly? Is that what this episode's about? Yeah, it's The Room, Old Sins, and The Floor is Jelly. That's what this right. episode's about. Okay. We did that... Uh, a little less than a month ago, or yeah, a little less than a month ago, because uh, I was I was edited the, that's files together this morning, waiting to record our this podcast. Um, and uh, so Jackson, you've you've been in school hell. I'm still in school hell. I'm not you only done. have a week left of school hell, though. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Look, I. It is known how bad at like time management and doing things and just like general brain nonsense I am. Don't have me do fucking you know a full dissertation and other stuff, especially with things creative. It's bad. Uh, I've been doing uh, creative writing assignments that I'm you know they're not very good, but that's that's what working to the university briefs is like. You've, yeah, you've experienced I mean, me explaining like yes, the, uh, the prompts are bad, being... the expectations are low. You uh, are making I'm this ridiculous. more harder on yourself than yes. you need to be <laughs> because the... when you shit something out, you still get the best grade you could possibly get on it. So well, just I have, chill. I have shot something out for both of the assignments that are in tomorrow, and I did pretty good. I'm sure they'll be fine. And I'm not worried. I will fail them. So two out of four assignments are basically done as we speak. Yeah, and once I'm free of this, I get to play God of War. We're not going to talk about God of War. Uh, we have been tasked with writing about God of War, each of us, by our friend Omar. Uh, please thank them when all this goes up, but also fuck Omar. Uh, thanks. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, some money was raised because the glowing... Everyone knows. It's fine. I won't even go into it. But... I mean, a lot of people probably don't know. So our friend Omar... Should we, should we at, go into uh, it? At, yes. At Cigarettes. Right. Uh, S-I-E, right? S-I-E? S-I-E. Yes, uh, and the rest is just like cigarettes. Um, was like, oh, everyone's every all the original God of War reviews are the most glowing like game of the generation bullshit possible, but they're all written by fucking dads in their forties. Uh, and so they got together like a crowdfunding thing to get a bunch of people who were not uh like white dads uh to fucking write some pieces. And me and Jackson were tasked as part of this, and so yes. we got God of War, and we're gonna play it. And we're going to write about it, and that will go up eventually. Uh, the, the means of that will be determined when it goes up. We'll let you know. But uh, yes. it won't be till next month. Um, it won't be till next month. Mine might be a little bit behind because, you know, I haven't, even, yes. I haven't even started the game yet. Dia's finished. You're yes. a few hours in. I'm a few hours in. God of War is fucking terrible. I said it on <laughs> this week's Your Face Would Never, which I will talk about in a second. Um, this fucking game is so bad, and I'm going to play it most of the rest of today when we're done with this. I'm so miserable about it. Uh, if I may quote you of a minute ago, we're not talking about God of War. 
Yeah. I just wanted to give people the context if because yeah. we brought it up. And a lot of people are not on this bubble. Like, we have a lot of listeners who only yes. kind of, like, enjoy video games in a healthy way, unlike the rest of us. <laughs> I haven't uh, touched it yet. I have watched some footage. I have heard everyone else's takes. So I'll be coming to it, you know, as late as you can come to a game that's only been out a week. Um and yeah so we'll see how that goes i did go back and play god of war one so you know that's what i do because i'm i'm me <sighs> how's god of war one it's fine okay um we have a new podcast yes we do what is the new podcast uh, called Pitch me. i am doing a podcast with my partner destiny if you've been listening to this a long time you have heard her on these episodes uh yes. she used to be kind of regular around here it is called your faves would never uh, you can find it at your yfyi It is a weekly show where we just kind of talk about our week, what we've been up to. This week, the one that came out two days ago is about Nintendo Labo, which we will cover. Like we talk extensively about building it and what we think about it there. Uh, so I'm not going to repeat any of that. You can go listen. Um, it's it's a good show. Uh, we're trying to get off the ground. There's no iTunes yet because iTunes is dragging its goddamn feet. But if you just go to that website, you can find the RSS link and put it in your podcatcher of choice. It's good. Uh, I'm excited to be doing it. I'm excited for more people to listen to it uh, because we act because it's weekly. We can more actively ask people to like participate and respond to stuff. And I'm looking forward to that getting going. Yep, it's a good podcast. I listen to it. I endorse it. Uh, it's good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, other than that, I have really not been playing too many video games. I've been reading a lot. I, I played some Sonic Racing. I got a Steam Link. I did get a Steam Link. Well done. Uh, if you if you have the need of a Steam Link in your life. Uh, you're like, oh, I know how that would work uh, in my situation. And you can get it on sale when they regularly put it on sale for a goddamn $1. You should get one. Yeah, you said it was fine. Like, latency was fine. Image was fine. Yeah. It was all fine. I'm not, it's not, I don't even know if I'm wired. It suggests doing it wired. I just have it wireless and it's fine. To be clear, you've got a pretty good router and it's fairly close. It's just a, like one rib away. I mean, it's like through all of my computer stuff and a wall. So okay. I don't know. Fair enough. Well. It's, it's like it's not sometimes like, like the steam link is great sometimes the switch says i'm at two bars and is slow so i don't understand the wall well yeah i'm i'm moving house soon and my internet situation is going to be such that i might have to have my router downstairs and that's going to be a nightmare so yeah we shall see anyway that's that's basically what's going on in terms of like our general stuff playing games i've i've played some games but like it's been a month I yeah. remember, you know, I'll, I'll talk about things better when I, you know, I've done things. Yeah, I, uh, I've i got a custom Xbox controller from the Xbox Design Lab. You did? That did look pretty cool. It's cool. Uh, if you can afford it, because uh, I got the Steam Link, I was like, we need an Xbox controller out in the living room. Uh, that's just a necessity. And I went ahead and did it because they had a sale where it was like $10 off and free shipping. Uh, it's usually, It seems like it's usually free shipping, but there was a $10 off on top of it. Uh, they're nice controllers. Xbox One, probably my favorite controller. I would agree. Um, yeah um so it's nice it's nice to be able to get some colors uh more controllers should be in more colors than like white black and gray and camo or whatever the fuck they put out these days my brother my brother has a camo xbox one controller and it's the most obnoxious thing oh what's it like living with a gamer uh i don't know i put together i helped him put together his like gamer chair which is also camo because it was cheaper and uh it's a nice chair i wish i had one i'm not gonna pay the amount of money he paid for it i would also buy a camo chair if the chair was cheaper in camo just because i don't give a fuck i'm not gonna spend money on chairs uh the difference was like 10 or 20 dollars i would pay 20 dollars to not sit in camo uh that's fair enough 
You live with people though? Like I live with my, you know, my, I don't have a partner. Just just for my own like self <laughs> like satisfaction, it wouldn't no one else would care. I would care cuz I'm going to have that chair for probably at least 5 years. Like I want like a nice like just a, like an orange or something. I mean, I as part of this move, I have to buy an, a new uh, a chair of some description. Um mm-hmm. so we'll see what I end up getting. Will I get a hashtag #gamer chair? I don't probably know. Probably not. Probably not. I know they're meant to be good, but whatever. Yeah. All right. So we already have like this pre-recorded segment. It's already like an hour long. So please enjoy that. Um, we, as, as I said, we play uh, the room, old sins, and the floor is jelly, and we talk about it. I, I listen to it. It's a good podcast. So uh, please enjoy that. We'll be back on the other side with some questions and what we're gonna play next month. And uh, you know how this works. We don't because we haven't done this in forever. So uh, music. game club this month is The Room Old Sins. Jackson, this is a new game. What did we do? We fucked up. Um, this is no, 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 no. You fucked up. You said, let's do The Room Old Sins as well. And I yep. said, okay, are you sure you want to do that? Because it's a new a new game. And you said yes. So hoisted. You're, you're supposed to yes and not no but. You were doing the uh, absolute opposite of the bit. Not only am I no butting, but I'm also like picking you up and throwing you directly under a bus. Yes. <laughs> So we have a, we have an informal but pretty ironclad rule that we don't do new games on neural mapping, but we did cover the rooms one through three last year, or was that two years ago? Oh God, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. It would have been would have been would have been at the beginning of last year because it was after Tomb Raider. All right, um, and a new one came out, and we were like, let's just do it because they're great, uh, and we're we're still at the end of Jackson trying to get done with school and you know uh we wanted short games so this is a short game we we're like we love the room let's talk about the room so the room yes. old sins is by fireproof games it came out in 2018 sometime earlier this year don't ask me when uh, i was told about it by jackson who was like there you know there's a new room and i was like what excuse me a new room uh and then we immediately got and downloaded the room and played it yes cause... i basically <laughs> played it in a weekend <laughs> yeah. uh, it um, was in january and like i was like holy shit there's a new room you know there's a new room and then you were like what there's a new room and we both had the new room it was fantastic the best experience no trailers no nothing we just saw the game was there and played it it was great you yeah. know uh so, Jackson, what is the premise of The Room, Old Sins? Oh, God, okay. So, The Room, Old Sins, uh, as ever with The Room games, um, is a little vague about its premise, but you are someone, question mark, uh, in the attic of a mansion, which is called uh, Waldgrave Manor. Yes. Um, and you find in the attic of the mansion a model of the uh, like a dollhouse that is a model of that mansion of that uh, specifically manor. you are sent there because the husband and wife who ran this mansion disappeared mysteriously mysterious disappearance yes. um right i forgot that's the thing that they say while you're there yeah <laughs> um, uh so yeah so you're there because the husband and wife disappeared and you're here to solve the mystery of this mansion uh and you find a dollhouse that is a model of the mansion that you're in and because this is a room game you immediately start interacting with it and um like solving puzzles and opening boxes and stuff uh as you like 
use your eyeglass to zoom in into the dollhouse and um, manipulate it from the inside as if it was an actual house you were standing in and it plays with scale uh, and there's lots of multi-room puzzles it is another one of these games but on a, just a different kind of scale and design uh, around one specific dollhouse set piece and that's like the concept of the game if you've never played a room game before I would listen to the other podcast we do but basically what you do is you are presented with like a series of items that you have to interact with in order to make things happen uh, which is a very broad thing but it's like you see a gate so you like open it and it's everything's very tactile you have to do every single thing so you would like unhinge the latch pull the thing back then open the gate all of that is through touchscreen movement and is very like satisfying to do um and as you like do that you like solve puzzles of like opening the gate brings you this key which you can then use in this part of this other part of the like contraption and it's all like loads of contraptions that interlock in various ways and this design has expanded over the course of the now four games and uh, basically that's what the room is i think that's a good summary yeah, uh, specifically in this one, when you examine the dollhouse, you uh, you go like you turn on a light, and what you see is like a dead body and like a weird tentacle thing, and it disappears. And then you explore this dollhouse, and the dollhouse itself is a big puzzle box. And then as you interact with the pieces, you open up doors or windows or walls. And much like the room three is the one that had the stuff where you went inside things, right? Yes. Okay. You can go you can go inside these rooms much like you did in the room 3, but instead of one-off puzzles, it leads you into the discrete puzzle rooms of something like the room 2 where it's like, "Oh, here is where in that game it was like, "Oh, here's the Egypt room and then here's the like old-fashioned sailing ship room. These are like here is the conservatory, here is the kitchen." Um but in discrete spaces unlike the room 3 where you walk throughout the mansion like it was mist or something. Um yeah. So yeah, so it's like the design is like the room two is basically a series of I don't remember how many maybe like six or seven discrete room puzzles and like new rooms with new designs. Every single one is a very specific place, um, and then the room three is like interlocked, uh, like areas within a mansion. Um, and then you would go to like I'm going to this area with uh, like you know with the lighthouse, uh, and it would be one puzzle contained there, but much bigger than the, the puzzles in the room two. Uh, this is more the dollhouse itself is made up of rooms that are the size and scale of room two's puzzles but you can go in and out between them at any time depending on which ones are unlocked uh as much more interlocking stuff but the puzzles themselves are not grand and obtuse in the way that the room three was it's a very it's a very smart game and how it's designed and like what it like takes from the room three and the room two because we have like feelings on both of those games and what they achieve Mm -hmm. because i know like basically one of our feelings coming off that room episode was that the room two is like the peak of this idea and the way they expand out in the room three does like made us feel like it's not sustainable can you not actually make it bigger and this game is like a really smart way of trying to ask how do we make this bigger without like taking away the very specific feeling of all these spaces that makes it work yeah so what happens is you go into the first room that you open up and in there is the puzzle box and you can solve the puzzle box or you get items and eventually you will get items that will be like, hmm, I wonder where this goes. It looks like it goes on the dollhouse. You'll zoom back out and put it on the dollhouse and you won't be done with the first room, but it'll open up a second room then. And in doing so, you then expand the amount of rooms you can have and pieces that you find in each room might interact with other rooms. Um... And then you'll keep going and you'll unlock maybe like three rooms or so. And then you'll close off the first room. You'll finish the last bit of puzzle there. You'll get the story progression item that like is like lights up one of the seals that's on the attic of the dollhouse. And it closes off and you're like, it says chapter complete. And then you can't go back to that room. Um, 
And the way in which it slowly expands out as it closes off rooms means that it like the widest point of this game in the middle, you have about like four or five rooms you have something to do in and try to figure out where to maneuver in that space. And it's a great way of doing like an interlocking puzzle that's better than the way the room three at the very end kicks you loose and says, hey, there's a meta puzzle here you didn't even know about. Figure it out. We're not going to help you anymore. Which is terrible. It's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> and, and like, I get why they did that. Because obviously yes. people say that the room is too easy. And it is a very easy game as a puzzle game goes. Like, it's not only is, are the puzzles fairly simple, but it then, like, will, within every, like, 90 seconds, we'll be like, hey, here's how you do the puzzle. Because it's yep. more about the momentum of opening these, like, chains. Uh, and then suddenly they're like, hey, we've actually put a real puzzle in this game. And if you're like us, you're like, oh, fuck off. Why'd you do that? <laughs> yeah. I assume there are people that, like, really love that stuff in the room three, but they are not us. Uh, the problem with that puzzle is none of the things you've done before that prepare you for the mechanics of how that puzzle works at all. No, not even a little bit. It is yeah. its own entirely separate massive thing. Also, he- the, the Room 3 is very in love with like arcane mechanisms that you just kind of fiddle with until something lines up right. And it really got away from the idea that the room is about very simple mechanical like interactions in the same way like Mist was, right? It's about throwing lever- levers and turning knobs to find secret drawers than it is like aligning seven different uh, eye chambers to make sure a laser goes through and hits an arcane artifact just right with the right color, which is the bullshit that Room 3 is about a lot. Yes, the room three is in like a very weird space because you get kidnapped and sent to this place and everything's very strange and like bad and you're like in the depths of its weird Lovecraftian influences. Uh, the room, Old Sins, like pulls it back and is very specifically, this is a house and a very recognizable house in terms of it's like just a Victorian house, very stereotypical design. And what that ends up doing is giving the game, like the game space is a very real context and you're like just opening drawers because these are the drawers that would be there. Um the room one was like just weird boxes in a room on a table whereas this is the first time that like everything is like it's more mundane than any of the room games and it gives the like it almost makes it feel stranger because obviously it's weird to be moving around eye lasers to make lovecraftian things show up but that's not the same thing as like moving three drawers to unlock a knob that then reveals a slightly different thing when you turn on your like eye vision that then you see differently like just putting strangeness in a mundane context makes it feel actually more alien than just here's a bunch of shit <laughs> mm-hmm. um which we're shitting on the room three which we don't mean to do it's it's the really good game it's just like the weakest one of the room games that we've played. yes and now this game which marries the ambition of the room three with the stuff we didn't like about uh the like with the like uh, the stuff that um, the room two does. This is the best room game, straight up. Yes, easily. Yeah. Uh, there's no way to like couch this in any other terms. I love this game a lot. It's it, yeah, it's great. We had a fantastic time with it. Uh, just blaze mm-hmm. through it. Um, and then this is the first game that has like a story I liked, which is weird. So the story before, like, basically the first two games had no story except, like, so these, like, le- letters from A, um, who was like, I've discovered the null element, and, you know, and the first game had basically nothing, as you were like, ah, oh, the null element, what's that? And then it was Cthulhu. Um, and then you go into, you know, that that game ends with you being, like, trapped in the null element, it's the big twist ending, as, you know, you looked at the weird creepy thing too long and you became one with it. I have also played Bloodborne and read a book, um... The room two was you then like going deeper into this element and trying to escape and you found A's body uh, who had become trapped in there and died and you're like, oh, I can't die. I have to get out. And then you get out. So those first two games were basically very little stories, quote unquote, just mostly like tropes and theming, which was fine. They're very light games with that touch. The room three has a big story and you're like, 
the same dude you've been escaped you thought you were free but you get kidnapped by a guy who's like betraying you i barely remember the room three but it gets to like this secret society stuff mm-hmm. um and the people who want to control the null element in order to like you know power the british empire blah 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 um which i don't really remember the stuff in the room three because it's been a year now but that's essentially what that game was doing this game however is um like the con- the context is very specific it's this one family what happened to this family and you see like you find you find books in every room that like explain the the relationship between the two uh between the husband and wife um and then there's like newspaper clippings that like fill in things that will you know are kind of relevant and then it has it all has a big twist ending that you probably figured out five minutes in uh but it's still pretty good oh <laughs> uh, yeah also like specifically it's the one like art like the painting room uh puzzle mm-hmm. in which you see the yes. the like reality of this couple like falling apart as they chase after this aether and uh like the null element and then start to like fall apart as they go into suspicion of each other and one of them leaves and it's just a very good like very concrete almost like um what's it called almost like uh what remains of the finch style storytelling puzzle Mm -hmm. Uh, and i just didn't think the room had that in it as a thing it could do um yeah i mean like that is true but also it's basically what if the room one and two were more like it's the same thing as like you have a note from a and then you're like oh he died and went mad from the null element that's like Mm -hmm. two line summary and that's essentially what happens to this family but they just added nuance and humanity to it and just did that rather instead of blowing it up into an unrelated thing about secret societies you just get to see a more human story Mm -hmm. Uh, which is nice to see because like the actual final sequence of the game revolves around like recreating the events of um how the like this all went down and as basically you're moving statues around of the dude trying to find abigail mm-hmm. uh and then like you find her and she disappears and then you go into the next layer of the box and each time you go into the dollhouse it um like the the sky is ashen and um there's more tentacles around and more black goo everywhere and you go further and further and deeper in and eventually it all falls apart and you know you, you see the truth of it um and it's like, oh no, she was trying to save you. You were the wrong person. And then you know, he's called Richard, right? Richard and Abigail. Somebody knows the names in my head. It's been a few. Yeah, I weeks. think so. Yeah, it's yes. been it's been even longer for me. <laughs> yes. Um, oh god, I god, it's been it has been a while. Jesus. Um, but he, he's essentially like, oh, I, I don't trust her, but she's the one trying to like save them both and escape. Uh, and obviously the final twist is you are not there to find out what happened to this family. You are there to find the element that, uh, the null element that is in this house somewhere. And she has hidden it uh, and found a way to like escape this. And you, uh, through solving the dollhouse puzzle, there's a re- like the actual ending of the game is really cool where you essentially find the, the element itself, which is just a glowing rock that isn't anything and put it in your uh, strange science briefcase. And then you deposit it to the big secret society in a giant, like, room full of statues and chanting men. It's very ridiculous. Yes, that part is less cool, but hilarious. Yes, yes it's very funny. I just, I would like more stories about this weird, like, like arcane disaster cleanup guy who basically is, like, in the weird, like, Victorian the Prisoner, right? 
that interpretation of the room is not one I had thought of until you said it, but it's incredibly spot on. Yes. <laughs> Holy shit. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. The way in which he just kind of walks off, walks in and deposits a briefcase in the middle of like this huge like temple antechamber is the most hilarious thing to me because he he like sets it down and then just walks off like it's his job that he does this like six times a day or a week. And it was very funny. Yeah, no, because that's what I like about it is you're just like, well, I found my element. Guess it's time to leave the attic now. Goodbye. Yeah. It's a very ridiculous game. <laughs> I like it a lot. I'm glad they continue to make these because I assume the room three would be the last of the room things they made because uh, it has kind of a, its own like sense of conclusion and just making like I think th- this is like meant to be a prequel, right? I'm pretty sure that's true. Yes, I think this is how the null element yeah. like comes into being. But and like so you assume it's going to be a prequel about that stuff, but it ends up being slightly more separate than that. Just about this one episode in the you know the saga of the secret society they could make it about anything i don't actually really care i just want them to continue to make puzzle games like this yep but uh, like, i like it a lot i assume they'll keep you know they'll keep it in the air these games i don't know if you could make a game like this with that with different theming and have it be as good like you just need gears you need a billion gears and a billion locks and a billion like weird fiddly bits of the tables like it i don't know what you would do with a game like this if it wasn't in this like victorian aesthetic I'd be mm. like interested in what they might do, but I don't think it. I don't necessarily think it would be as good. I think that the the aesthetic lends itself to this type of play. I mean, you could do something like this with like a very like um, like American like trains and going like you could set. I would like this set on a train going across America in like a spooky Western kind of thing, right? That would mm-hmm. be cool. I'd play that game. Yeah. It'd be cool. I wonder what... Because it had very similar... Like, yes, it has to kind of be, like, Industrial Revolution, like, gears and puzzle boxes in that way. Otherwise, the whole thing kind of falls apart. Because you have to create arcane bullshit or you're just messing with technology. Uh, Like, in a modern sense, like, screens and stuff. And I don't want either of those things. But there are more frameworks for gears and puzzle boxes and levers than just Victorian House. Which is what every room game has been so far. Yep. Um... And then they, now they just, they went like they did the uh, Victorian house. Like it is the most Victorian house game that they've ever made. They can't just do another one of these. So like maybe they just won't. Maybe this is actually the end of the room. But I would, you know, I don't know. I would be curious to see what happens next because I, I like these games a lot. I assume, I assume there are like room-like games somewhere. Yeah. Because, you know, it's not that different to like room escape games just from a different perspective. It's room escape inwards mm-hmm. rather than escape out. I think um, that's all I have. Yep, that's really all we've got. It's a good game. Yeah, play it. It's like four bucks. It's on your phones and tablets. <laughs> yeah, it's like four bucks and two hours long, and it's fantastic. Yeah, the perfect video emerald games. mapping video game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> game is the floor is jelly this uh is by ian snyder with a soundtrack by disaster piece this came out jackson when did the floor is jelly come out oh i don't have the page up how are you gonna do this to me well it was um, an igf student finalist in 2012 which means it probably came out in 2014 <laughs> yeah no, i think that's about right <laughs> you know. um i remember playing it i'm like thinking god what house was i at when i first played this game 
Oh, this page doesn't. This page doesn't even have. Okay, the, the launch trailer on. is dated from four years ago on Vimeo, so 2014 sounds. Like 30th of May 2014 is what Steam says. Okay, that counts. That's good. I'll take so, it. So we're taking it. That's when it came out. Yeah. Uh, the floor is jelly. Is a platformer. Uh, in which you are a cute little figure on very flat shaded uh, abstract surfaces that represent floating platforms and trees and stuff. And you bounce on them. And as the title says, the floor bounces with you, has a lot of give and physics. It might be, as you might say, jelly. That's that's ridiculous. That's the most ridiculous you, thing I've ever had. You picked this game. Why did you pick this for us to cover? Did I? Yes. I was like, let's pick a small game. And you were like, what about The Floor is Jelly? Okay. I mean, we were both going through things. Yes, we, were literally oh, go we were going through a list of like, oh God, which of these is in short running time? But no, this is a game I've played um, a few times, but never like finished. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to see it through to the end and see what this game was all about in a bigger sense than just jumping on um, Jelly. Uh, and I'm glad I did. It's not very long. and It's mostly a good time. Yeah. It's an interesting game because you play it and you're like, this is a platformer about platforming. And then uh, it, it's not in a lot of senses. It's more puzzly than I expected. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yes. You want to explain that and explain kind of what the ways in which the game elaborates <sighs> upon itself? Yeah. So essentially what the game is, is like, it's a series of um, levels, which are often single screens, but um, occasionally not of like a few paths made out of this jelly thing. And you have to get from a, like from one window to another window. You jump through the window, you go into the next screen. Uh, sometimes the screen scrolls, sometimes it's a one screen thing, but that's basically the, the, how it works. You start out by like, oh, I'm on the side, and if I jump, like there's a big gap, and then there, there's a, the little platform on the other side, and I have to get to that platform. Uh, and if I jump um, just regularly, I'd fall immediately off the edge. I don't have enough momentum. So I have to jump a few times so, so it can like give me some more give and use it like a trampoline with the, the jelly floor. And then you press A at the bottom of your the arc and then you have a much more momentum when you jump and then you can make the jump. That is the very like early game. Here's what this game is. And the way this ends up expanding in itself is it's like, okay, we're going to introduce um, big blocks of spikes uh and a big block of spike comes in and it's in your way and you can't jump over it and you realize what you have to do is you have to go like start bouncing on the floor and then run across the bottom of the floor as you bounce so you can run under the block of spike that is another uh fairly early puzzle and it's mostly stuff like that about um like your control of the space and the way your momentum works and uh, the way the space interacts with you but a lot of it revolves around as you get into like the later worlds because each world has like a discrete mechanic uh so a lot of it becomes like puzzle games with very different sets of rules and ideas like you'll get into one world and the puzzles will be around um rotating uh, essentially the world by like reaching blocks that look like birds and pressing the down button uh which will trigger either the world to rotate or a block to rotate or a different set of blocks to rotate um and you have to uh essentially figure out okay so i have to rotate this one then jump over here to in order to get to like the exit and it becomes less about jumping and more about these rotating puzzles and jumping is a way to facilitate that the, uh, there's another world um where there are outlines uh everywhere and if you touch the side of an outline, that outline becomes solid and you have to figure out like, okay, I have to make this bit become solid and jump away from there to hit this other bit. So this becomes solid so I can go inside, like, so I can access this area that which was originally covered by a solid block, but has now been uncovered and in puzzles like that. So the worlds end up, rather than being like a linear progression through an idea, end up being like discrete, um, 
like mechanical ideas in themselves and so it, it like varies a lot there are worlds i think are very frustrating worlds i think that don't work very well and other worlds i think are really really good i'm like oh this is a great bit of this game uh and so it's like definitely varies depending on the core mechanic of each area uh, which is just uh, not a design i was expecting for this i was expecting which, more which like uh, a, like you didn't even mention the best mechanic which is the underwater world where half the level's underwater and underwater works exactly the same as above but the gravity is reversed um yes and so you have to like drop down from a height and so when you hit the water you continue going down that amount the same amount to reach platforms underwater uh mm -hmm. it's really good the way that i that really works. like wonderworld world yeah uh, yes. I also like the outline one, even though it's impossible to explain, but easily, like, if you looked at it, you would immediately know what it is, but it's very hard to describe how that outline system works. Yeah, so essentially, the big thing with this game is, by being broken down into discrete mechanical areas, each area lives and dies by how much it can teach you what it's asking of you. Mm-hmm um because there are some areas that like so the, the the area with the rotating stuff is my least favorite area in the game and it was very frustrating it was where i almost burnt out um because you get in and you rotate some things and sometimes the window is closed and you have to rotate things in a specific order in order well, no because like... it's never about rotating things in specific order it's either you need to make sure the black flower is not being rained on because of the rain level or you need to make sure that the ball of flowers are all open Yes, but I I never knew how to open the ball flowers, and you have to. It's do just those. it's just it's just like a it's just a matter of they have to all be done in order, like it's a Simon thing. Like it has to be like you'll hit one, and then you'll hit the other, and either it'll open or not won't, and you have to go back and hit the other one to start with. Yes, yeah, so the first time I did that, I literally came across all of them and they just opened, and I was like, wait, okay, I guess I have to open them, and then then they wouldn't wouldn't do that, so I was like, oh, I guess I have to rotate them into a different position. No, it is entirely about the order in which you touch them. Yes, so I didn't realize that because of the way the like mechanics were introduced. So like I was really confused with how the rotating was work. I also didn't work out like that the rain was affecting everything directly because like I rotated a thing already to the correct position and it ended up not like affecting it. Like I just either came at it wrong and just got unlucky with how I encountered the mechanics, um, or they were arranged bad. Like I, I'm willing to accept that this is like just on me for how I came. I mean, this is definitely the like fiddliest bit until the very end, which is fiddly in a different way, but. Yes uh i think you might have also come at it kind of just weird um yeah but also um, the mechanic is not like it's not what you're here to this game for is to flip switches and rotate platforms yes like it turns the game like it makes the game stop because some basically the worlds that are the best worlds are the worlds that like come up with the puzzle mechanic that um gels seamlessly with the ideas of oh, the movement gels like the, seamlessly um, fuck off that, was, <laughs> that mixed bag <laughs> You want to do this? You want to do this? No. No, you don't. Didn't think you did. Um, no, but come up with the mechanics that essentially like... Oh, fuck. I don't know what to say now. No, it's fine. <laughs> Pun unintended, obviously, because it Pun stopped unintended. you in your tracks. Yeah, yeah. That um, completely meshes with the um, actual movement mechanics of the game. So the, the underwater one is basically exactly the perfect mechanic for this game because it doesn't even feel like this is this world's gimmick mechanic. It just feels like a natural extension of the world mm -hmm. uh, and the way you interact with it. Um, the outlines section is like very obviously this is the gimmick mechanic of this world but it is so satisfying to jump from one outline that is there to another one that like you make solid with your touch that it, it's fine it doesn't matter that it's a gimmick world it's great mm -hmm. um those, those are like my favorite worlds in the game yeah uh, i'm trying to think of like directly the other ones like, there's a bunch where you have to like get um like go through sub worlds in order to find like things to open doors yeah it's vaguely nonlinear. Yes. 
um but it's mostly very pleasant the design of the game is very uh just very nice to look at lots of soft pastel colors yeah um lots of you know ambient music as disaster pieces want to do and then and then the fucking fez show up <laughs> yes and then the fucking fez show up yep as disaster pieces want to do. <laughs> yes. So you you complete two sets of levels and open the gates, and then you go to this third area, which is like black and white, and it's very stark and different. And it's also low gravity, so you move at a different yes. speed. Yes, it's low gravity, and there's no sound at all, um, except for like a slow drone that slowly starts to increase upon you as you go. And you go through that, and then you reach like this glowing weird orb. Uh, like or like a cube thing and you touch it and then the game like glitches slash almost crashes and then suddenly you have like display errors they're like bands of color almost like uh like you put a cartridge in wrong or that was dusty um and if you touch them you die and you have to go back through these areas as you gather these uh special glowing orbs uh while the level, like the low gravity area that has been mostly innocuous as you go through it, is now this droning nightmare of like multicolored banding, and that stuff is really cool. Yeah, like it essentially functions the same as the spikes do, but it's like an aesthetic shift as like the game starts falling apart. Like it's one of those games. Yep, and you gather all those, and then you go through the last like area, and this colored corruption. Uh, comes out of the door after you and chases you down and then the game like seems like it's going to crash again and then lands you on an area and you're like oh it's just another platform where the game is fine whatever continue on to the next room and you go into this big room that has like a pie symbol on it basically uh and when you step on that thing the game stops and does like this weird scan of the environment and it ha and then the physics are weird uh, and you go through the next couple areas, like, the, I think the first one is that you, you don't, the floor is not jelly anymore, I think is what the first no, that's, one is? That's, that that is not the first one. What's the first one? I don't, I don't remember. remember, but I, that's okay. the last one. Because <laughs> um, that's the one okay. I was expecting, I was like, oh, the floor is going to not be jelly now. But no, it's like, you're There's bounce. definitely one where you you don't have as much impact on the jelly to start off with. It's very light. Yeah, so basically, the reason, the reason this is confusing is because this... Like, essentially, the end of the game is an exercise in how many weird ways they can fuck with the floor and its jelliness. Um, like, you'll start standing... One of them, one of these cycles through, you will start standing on the floor, and then it will just, like, go down and down and down, and it won't have, like, any kind of bounce to it. And you'll just, like... The more you stand on the floor, the more you, like, get rid of any place to stand and any ability to move and there'll be a couple puzzles based around the fact of okay if i stand on this bit and then jump away at the last moment then this platform will disappear but then i can jump through the space where the platform was to access the door um yep. and then the next one will be like oh now there's too much bounce now i cannot control myself at all i'll jump on the jelly and it'll just be like the whole platform will be start wobbling and as you go through these cycles eventually it becomes oh the second i touch the jelly it becomes a sine wave and vibrates to death and i don't even know how to function in this, this isn't a level anymore yeah so you uh, basically need to let it push you through the door through like glitching through the level Yes, yes, there's a lot of like, oh, I've got to try to glitch through the wall. And there's sometimes that's very satisfying as you actually manage to glitch through the wall. But a lot, there's one specific one of these, which is the last one in one of the like sine wave cycles. There's a couple more cycles after it, but they're just for some reason not as intense um, as it like slows down again. But there's one specific room that took me about 10 minutes and it just, the doors in the air, uh, the only way to get to it is to like, let the bottom bit glitch through the ceiling above it to get to the yes, door. Yes, that is the and one that I got stuck on both times I played through this game. 
And it's impossible. <laughs> yes. It's so uh, hard. Because you get I get really close and then the sine wave would get too strong and throw me off or whatever. Yeah. So like you'll get there and you'll get up top, but by the time you've glitched through the top of the the um ceiling, you have all of one mo- like one bit of movement to jump to the to the door. Uh and that one bit of movement, because of how fast the like the the world is literally vibrating, if you just hit it, you might just jump it like to into nothing just because it ha- like the world is beyond your perception and that's the point this game is meant to be falling apart like it's very good at conveying that it's a very cool thing but that one screen is like oh god i don't know if i'm gonna be able to finish this game yep but then like after that there's only like six more screens and then you're done yes and they're they're because the last one is there's no jelly yes um and then like you go through all of them and then like the world essentially like the the corruption comes again and then uh you like reboot the universe and everything goes back to normal yeah, you do the thing you did at the beginning where everything, like, you touch the platforms, they dissolve into colors, where at the beginning they were a bunch of colors that t- formed into platforms. Yes. Uh, which is cool. It is a yeah. good, it's a cool game. So, what's interesting to me is we cover this. Last time we've covered a puzzle platformer was back when we did... Oh, God. I mean, I guess you could say framed, but that was more of a narrative experience. I would say back when we did the Swapper, right? Jesus, is it really been that long? That was our second episode. Yes. Um, and when I think about that, and I think about the question I asked at the time, which was uh, like the Ludo narrative distance, blah, 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 wank, wank. <laughs> it's of, been a long time. We've yes. been doing this podcast um, forever. I look at a game like this, and I, I like I enjoyed this game. I played it twice now because I played it back when it came out. Um, do you think games like this have a place in podcasts like ours? Um. Yes. In what, like, I, my question is not like, is, cause I'm, I think I would say no. Like I look at what we do when we talk about a game and I'm like, I don't know what we can bring to that. And if so, what does that speak to like our format or the format of podcasts and criticism in the face of games like this that just aren't about that sort of stuff that we normally talk about? Well, th- so there's a video, there's an errant signal video that is basically this exact crisis, right? I don't know if you've mm-hmm. watched that or if you're like, it's where, um, uh, Aaron Signal is a guy called Chris Franklin at Campster on Twitter. Everyone calls him Campster. I'm going to call him Campster. Uh, so he plays this game um, called Thoth. Uh, where yes, I like Thoth, and I have the same feeling about it. There's nothing to say. Well, he's like, this is a great game. It feels good. It has done stuff, but there's no like themes here. And I guess there are like themes. Is like it's hinting at stuff and using theming as a game would use theming, much like the Floor of Jelly. Like has a theme and a like narrative, quote unquote, as just a progression of tone as you go through the levels, but regurgitating that in a critical thing and examining it doesn't really like mean anything i'm just saying what this game is to you yes um uh, the game is a thing you experience and you play and that is all it is and that is like valid and good and i can say that's valid and good but that's what is like what does that mean as a piece of criticism uh and that's essentially you know that's a thing that a lot of games um cause in people is like you can say things about it but it's not like you know when we talk about um Final Fantasy X, and we talk about it in the context of um, uh, like JRPGs and what it's saying about uh, the world and religion and all these big ideas. This is just jumping on platforms, and it's incredibly good at jumping on platforms. And I can go to you and turn to you and say, it's very good at jumping on platforms, and that's the end of the conversation. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Like, I think it's I think that's just a thing we have to accept that sometimes we're doing. We are explaining a game to people. We are saying this is what it does well, and this is why we like it. I wouldn't say that we should stop talking about whole genres because they don't um 
conform to like ideas that can be thematically mined in a very like specific context that comes out of like literary criticism just because they don't have like big ideas and themes in that sense but then what are we doing like what i guess my bigger question is what are we doing here <laughs> like with this How- oh well i don't know like what are we doing here we're talking about we're having a podcast where we talk about video games everyone else has a podcast where they talk about video games like it's if you want to say that the point is and no it's more that it's more that if we can't have a conversation about this game past explaining what it is and be like oh i liked the jumping in this part but i didn't like the part where you move the switches uh like is like the limits of criticism here are the thing that I'm concerned about. Not that we're wasting our time, whatever we have a podcast. We will continue to have a podcast past this point, but um, w- like what are, what are p- critics doing? Like, what do we bring to video games that are not narrative experiences? Right? Like, what does that I even mean, look like? I mean, it looks like us saying, I like I didn't like this area because it interacted with the mechanics in this way. I thought the water area was good because it felt like a natural extension of the design of the world. Like we're saying things that are valid and true. It like, if anything it means that critics like including us need to get better at expressing um just like what design is and how it affects you i guess because mm-hmm. there's totally of like you could do a long youtube video on this game and how this game is good design capital letters you could do a great game a great video great video you could do a long video uh <laughs> explaining that i don't know how valid and like need like whether it needs to exist but like the way it introduces its mechanics is very seamless and i can break down that oh this this level where you fall into the pit first but then you realize you need to jump on the stuff in order to get across the ledge all these things are introduced in a very specific order and it communicates them to you in very specific and clear ways and here's how it does that i could like we could break that down in like a you know lectured sense uh it's not like these are games that we i I feel like it's wrong to say these are games we can't say anything about because we can we're just better at saying certain things about certain games which is like you know one of our own limits i guess i don't know i i don't share this existential crisis i guess I'm not even. Fine. I'm not even saying it's an existential crisis per se, because uh, I'm not particularly troubled about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my answer is: we normally don't cover these games. We picked it because it was short, and we're on a deadline. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, like we, we we're not a platformer uh, podcast because what do you say about platformers? Like, tell me what your thematic takeaway is from playing every Mario Jackson. Oh, sometimes the jumping's good, sometimes it's not so good. <laughs> like, there's some games are just like tactile experiences, and that's fine. I just wonder about, like, video game criticism as, like, a medium that people can have, like, jobs and lives in. Like, how useful it is when it can't even touch some games because of their, like, physical realities. But it it can. We can have, like, a ten-minute debate about auto-scrollers right now. I don't know. Like, that is... There are things in these games that everyone knows about that, like, people have opinions on and is affected by its design that we can totally talk about. I don't think it's that impossible, I guess. Okay. Um, uh also i realized that the actual last puzzle platform we talked about is is inside oh right we totally did cover inside which I forgot is one of these games has a lot of i guess has more like, yeah, it also theme. has it also has a story and like ideas and themes about itself in a more concrete way in a more concrete way but only in so much that like it obfuscates itself i don't know like i know because there's entirely like the room in which that father like that parent and child are going to buy one of the worm slaves right like there are narratives in that game there are narratives in that game but like so i was watching some like videos on inside this week um and just the like way that game was received is a million theories about oh are you the the you know is the child the player controlled by the slug by the blob and th- 
in a sense, almost prevents a lot of the, like, discussion around that game from engaging with what the game is. So, I don't, like, that's the same question from another angle. Mm-hmm. Like, is it easier to talk about what Inside is and what it does because it has a lot of stuff there? Does that make it harder to talk about, in a sense, because it's, like, a bunch of, like, puzzles that you can get hung up on that the game isn't actually about? The game's like about its tone and its moment to moment play but a lot of like the audience reaction is what's the secret truth that we can decode here uh is that like a more valid piece of like art to talk about just because it has a bunch of stuff on top uh it might not be more valid art but it lends itself more to like criticism as we understand it in 2018 right Mm mm-hmm and I don't think that says, like, I think that says more bad things no, about criticism. No, the thing like, I am saying here is that criticism is a problem, not that video games are bad. Yes. No, video games can that. be bad in entirely own ways <laughs> that are not realm of this discussion. I'm specifically asking about when I look at this game, I'm like, well, what do we even talk about when we talk about Flora's Jelly in the context of what is the limits of our ability? And R is, like, broader than just you and me. And our yes. ability is a culture to talk about these style of games. Um, I, I think we do the best that we can, I guess. Yeah. I know. That shout like, out, shout out to our friend Omar, who's basically the person who I think of as being on point to talk about these type of games all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I think, it, yeah, I don't know. I guess you're right. Cause like, when I think about this game, like it's very pleasant. It looks good. You look at it and you go, this looks good. When you jump on a thing, you go, this feels good to jump on. And you're like, ah, oh, that was a good time to have, but I can't write, you know, it's not writing an essay saying that doesn't, it's not like a, uh, a full thing right mm-hmm. uh, it's just a fact of what it is and it's very good at being that yeah um well yeah i don't know i guess i i just take this as a tension of what criticism is right it is trying to communicate things about works and sometimes that is like the frameworks for that are in place for certain works and like lend themselves to certain types of things that more than it does to other types of things um mm which often ends up like making those things seem more legitimate as like art even though that's not actually how anything works mm. uh, and it's definitely something to be aware of i i want to stress that i had no idea this is what we were going to be talking about no no no. <laughs> and i didn't really until we were talking about it so i didn't have like a plan to okay. bring this up because <laughs> i was like oh okay okay we're, go- we're but doing I, this, we, I we are talking about this and i was like hmm, you know this is the thing i actually am thinking about now that we're talking about like this is not a planned conversation yes no it was entirely unplanned um and i i haven't watched that video uh that camps video on thoth in ages but that's the that is the thing i was thinking about because it's basically the exact same questions and it's just yeah. a it's just a tension that i think we have to accept isn't going to be resolved by us ever it's just no. a thing we have to deal with but when i when i think about like what i want to do as someone who wants to always better my criticism like when we mm-hmm. touch on games like this and i come across like the limits of what i think i can talk about I just, I'm like, what's the next step? How do you get better at this? You play a lot of them, you read a lot about them, and you... I think if we wanted to do, like, an entire puzzle platformer episode and focus on, like, the differences between these games and how they, like... Oh, we'd have a lot to say, but that's because of the volume, right? But that's what I mean. Like, the volume is... When I have a lot to say about, like, a narrative game that says things about stuff, that's only because I have, like, the context of a million other works of art and books and movies that are also about these ideas. Mm, you know that's a valid point i had not considered fair enough we can talk about these things because they like 
all a collective idea right like yes puzzle platformers are a whole genre i i was thinking about this game in the context of like this is like if super meat boy wasn't fucking up itself about being difficult um because of like it's a very similar like it's got a lot of the single screen stuff uh it's harkening back to like a lot of um you know it's not invoking retro aesthetics in the same way but it is invoking that kind of design sensibility without being like this is what this game's about super meat boy is uh it feels ancient now and not in the way that like actual old games feel ancient but in the way that arcade games xbox live arcade games 2010 do but i also think the general feel of super meat boy for example is like much more irreverent about itself than this game is no, this game is very sincere. It just wants you to enjoy the pleasant like atmosphere and then feel like very tense as the game starts to fall about, fall apart. I don't know. I think I think this game goes from sincerity to ponderousness at times about like just being one of these style of games. Mm-hmm. Like there's still there's a point where you touch the fez ball and then the game turns into like a broken TV screen, right? Like there's a certain amount of like, oh, we are subverting the soft aesthetic of this game to put technology in it. Isn't that crazy? Which is the same reason like I fucking hate fez, right? Mm-hmm. And that's I mean that's like that's why that is my least favorite stuff aesthetically in the game. Like I just preferred when it was just one of these games. But then we would have less to talk about. Yes. <laughs> it would just be this. <laughs> like that is the level of like that is the thing it puts in the game that is the like commentary it makes and the design decision it makes and that is what we are talking about otherwise it would literally just be a series of pleasant screens and puzzles that you solve (laughs) yes um so yeah i i I think that's how i fall down in it that if we want like if we want to get good at talking about this genre we can it's and i don't think we're bad at it i just think it's on us to like have more points of reference and context and approach that uh, I I've played a lot of puzzle platformers. I have a lot of what opinions th- about them. What is your opinion on puzzle platformers? What makes a good puzzle platformer? Fuck, don't make them anymore. That's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's why this is causing this because you're tired. I of mean, this. also, this game is a light puzzle, high platformer platformer. Yes, but the puzzle bits were the bits that I hated. So yes. <laughs> Like, I think of it as a puzzle platformer because, much like in puzzle platformers, I jump around and then I have to flick six switches and I'm going, fuck this. Like, uh, if we if we get to, like, my actual, like, problem here is I think, like, when I, when I look at this game, it's like, oh, like, oh, we can critique it on the spectrum puzzle platformers. The thing that I'm most, like, disappointed by playing this game is it doesn't have enough interaction points in the way that a game like Kohokam does, where mm-hmm. sometimes you can run along the ground and, like, the trees will sprout later in the game and sometimes there's some fish that follow you around and that's it. The game needs more, like, soft, non-concrete interaction points to, like, bring the world to life and make the cuteness of the design, like, breathe and live as a thing you're, like, actually having impact on more than it is just kind of, like, some still platforms hanging in space that you bounce off of. Like, Mm -hmm. for a game that purports to, like, be lively in its animations and often does that, there is not enough living things in the, like, framework of the game to make that worthwhile to me. Like, it's essentially just doing some jumps on top of extremely pleasant screensavers. Yeah, I need, like, I just want more of the soft interactions, right? Like, cool things happening in the background, something cute to interact with, like, something beautiful. Like, things that just can exist in the background and maybe, like, look at them and interact with them and there's, like, a one-off thing and then you move on and it doesn't actually matter. But those things do matter in aggregate when it comes to games like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely, like, it it doesn't feel like a living world. It feels like a series of levels with different pleasant tones. It's not, like... You know, I, I and like and like this is see. this is a student game, so I get it. But yes, no, like it's, this the, is a great the, game for like yes, the context of yes, yes. Twenty fourteen was a different time, but there's a huge rise of like art games that are specifically meant to be more art toy than they are a video game you play and complete. And this game 
feels like a early gesture towards that in a way that I wish it was just more of that. Like if this idea was approached, uh, like made today, just because of how this kind of stuff has changed since 2014 or even yeah. 2012, considering like it was, you know, how long this game took to come to fruition and yeah. just how hugely everything about this entire scene has shifted since then. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I, I would be curious like as to what this would be today. Cause like, I don't know, like these kind of platformers were everywhere for a while and now mm-hmm. they're not. Um, I mean, they're, they're coming back. Sure, but in a different way. I don't know. Like, Celeste happened. Celeste did happen. I need to play Celeste to actually see what it is, because I know there's more story in that and more, like, you know, stuff. I mean, many of the people who like Celeste have nothing to say about its story. Like, we both listened to Chris Remo, and I watched his stream of that game. He skips every single cutscene. <laughs> sure, but I, I'm not going to. I, I need and to know also, every time was. someone talks about that game, because I make do the bad thing where I wa- watch YouTube men talk about the best Wii or Switch games, because I <laughs> want to... No one else is reviewing Switch games every week. We Sorry, should get someone it. else we should do that work. We should get into um, that racket. Don't have the money for it. Um, oh, right, that's true. <laughs> um, every time they're like, oh, this game speaks to me because it's about a girl dealing with depression, and the mountain is her depression. She has to scale the mountain to scale her depression. I have depression. I relate to this. And then they show the screenshots of the game being that game, and I'm like, oh, no, nothing has changed. This is terrible. This is exactly the, because there was an episode of Idle Thumbs. I Okay, I forget what the game was. I don't know if you can remember the game, but we okay. had a discussion about a game that was mentioned on that that was essentially some... I think it was a platform. It could have been some other genre, but it was a game purported to be about depression, capital A, capital D. Um, but it was essentially just a platformer slash other type of game with a couple of cutscenes before each level. Um, and we like oh, discussed- it's that weird sliding screen, the guy with the flowers game. I don't remember the name of it though. Right, shit. What's it called? <laughs> God, this sucks. This is bad podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It's a uh, free podcast. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Admiral <laughs> Pay us to fact check. Uh, but we're essentially discussing it. So like, is that a valid kind of way of like marketing slash uh, ad, like selling your... Can you sell your game as being about something if it's essentially a series of disconnected like bits of uh, monologue about an idea while you then do some unrelated puzzles because that's an entire genre of you know video game uh, from about 2010 to 2014 that's like a that was a big thing uh, I, I may have maybe it went away but it's if Celeste is just that again <laughs> um, and then I don't know I didn't realize that the mountain was her depression uh, yeah I don't know I tried to look up this game I could not find it on short notice so I don't know if you were around the game scene back then you know exactly what game we're talking about <laughs> Uh, the slide. I, I'm gonna look this up. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to look this up afterwards and find oh. out what it is. And like Microsoft Sam, the name into this episode. Okay. Um. But yeah, because every so, everyone's like, "Oh, do you mean aversion?" And I'm like, "No, I don't mean no, aversion. I don't That's mean a aversion. different game." <laughs> Everyone knows aversion. <laughs> Takes me back. Yeah. Uh, I'm still looking for this because I'm an idiot. <laughs> Alright, well, I guess that we've made enough of a pause that it doesn't, you know. Uh, well, so what's the game? What is, what is the game that you know about? It? Just tell me the things that you know. There's a man, I think he's wearing a hat. There's flowers? It's about his wife being dead or him being divorced, something like that? It's a platformer.
okay, well, we tried to find the name of the game and we can't. So maybe they weren't Microsoft Summit. Maybe this has just lost the time. The history of video games is impossible. The secret um, is a lot of games from way back when are impossible to talk about anymore because they just don't exist. Yeah, unless you know the exact name of them and like it's God, games are hard to find. This game isn't even that old. This is from this decade. Yeah, but a lot of those games are flash games that disappeared, right? Yeah, no, nah, it's a oh, whole. Oh, I might have it. I might have it. We got we're, it. We were we got still it. looking. It is called The Company of Myself. You can find yes, it on congregate.com. Ah, <laughs> oh, it is called The Company of Myself. Yes. This is the most one of these games that has ever been made. <laughs> yes, it didn't. It does not have the sliding screens. I, I, that was me mistaking it for that other uh, PlayStation Mini flower loving game, whatever. Yes. So this game is essentially a series of screens of platforming puzzles uh, that, like, across the, the screens are also written like "I have depression." Yes. Um, <laughs> like it's all, uh, not to dunk on the, this game too much because I haven't, you know, I haven't played it. Um, but it definitely like reads as I could. If I cherry picked the right screenshots, you would think this is like a parody of this era of games. It is so earnestly that. Um, and I remember if you, I assume if you search the company of myself, Idle Thumbs, you will hear Chris Remo talking about it. Um, yeah. And like had this discussion back in whenever this game came out. Um, and we find what episode that would be uh episode 182 great i think uh, we're playing games for too fucking long jackson but yeah so that's that, like i guess if celeste is just a like obviously more produced with a more bigger story but, yes. but like, and the, the platforming looks legitimately cool yes like it looks like a game that is a very like fun and enjoyable to play just as a video game but that uh aesthetic of we put meaningful things on top of the platforming has not gone away yeah no and it's bad i am like i'm not here for that i i admit but the puzzle platformer exists entirely in those style of games and even games like inside which is a game that I, we both really liked is one of those games right um yeah and we, but we, but we're not saying that like the games are bad like obviously we look at the company of myself and think this doesn't seem very good but like the forest jelly doesn't purport to be about you know yeah, no, but these are the two modes. Either you are just a platformer and you're like, well, that was just a platformer because it's not made by Nintendo. Or <laughs> it's one of these games. You're like, oh, I really wish it was just a platformer. In which case you would just dismiss it out of hand. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's essentially like the problem of we have a mode of criticism that has just come from people who have like, you know, read books slash more likely watch films uh, and have like, applied that to video games. And or... Or the other way is like the the non the the other version is like hard design analysis and like is this good design stuff and that's like its own criticism with its own huge form of problems that we're like trying to push against. It's just a tension we've all got to navigate, I guess. I don't know. Um, yep. Nothing has changed. We are still in the same boat. We still have the same problems. We have to deal with them. Uh, we always complain about the cycle of game criticism, but maybe we are the cycle of game criticism. Well, yeah, no, we complain about it knowing that we're all complicit in it, right? Like we just make it happen. Yeah. Um, we don't have any answers. Maybe I should play Celeste is my answer, I guess. Yeah, but it's too fucking expensive. I have some eShop credit. I should, I could spend some. I have some I, gold coins to redeem. I could just get it on Steam, but I want to play it on Switch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'll probably also hate it. Like, I don't know. I expect to. I mean, maybe I'll find it. I expect, I expect to hate it. I don't know. That's just me. But that I don't know if that's because of the, the game and the theming or just because you're too good at platformers. 
Mm. The thing is, while I might be good at platformers, I don't like a lot of platformers. Because you're too good at them. Because you want a very specific thing. No, because, like, I'm playing Kirby Triple Deluxe right now, and that game is, like, the easiest baby game for babies. I'm having a great time, though. Yes. When I said a very specific thing, I meant Nintendo. Oh, yeah. I mean, I want cute platformers. It doesn't necessarily have to be Nintendo. They're just the only one who's actually doing it. Everyone else has to make their game funny for gamers, and it ruins any cuteness that might have. Oh, that's true. I'm batting into games from being funny. What was the yep. recent game I played that was, like, too funny? All of playing... them? <laughs> I was playing It'll Do the other the other other day, and um, I don't like that game very much. I think it's fine. It relies too much on like Switch puzzles because it turns out when you don't have the money to like iterate on making like really interesting Zelda dungeon puzzles, you just have a lot of pulling and pulling, pushing and pulling blocks in infuriatingly boring ways. Uh, yeah, so which is like, the exact same Yono and the Celestial Elephants did, but their puzzles were easy, so I didn't mind it very much. Yeah, so I'm like the game's fine. It's like it's cute, uh, and you know it's fine to light torches and stuff um the puzzles aren't very interesting just because of the like it takes a lot of work and scale to make those puzzles uh detailed but the actual like thing that was most frustrating about it and not in a this is just a reality of the game way is that every single thing was like oh i'm a i'm a self-referential joke for gamers i'm gonna be like oh i'm over there to the island of adventure i bet there's adventure in there uh i've got a piece of paper that the heart thing's on i've you know i'm i'm just this this is my these are my jokes uh and it was just like oh please stop this and it's like not it's fine in that game it doesn't make the game bad but in aggregate when basically every big indie game of the last five years it is very hard to find one that doesn't have this kind of like sarcastic referential tone yep it's everywhere it's everywhere yeah i'm banning jokes for for a few years everyone's got to go without jokes for a while we just gotta try our best no jokes yeah no no more jokes Scarlet Witch picture, make it happen. <laughs> yeah, no one jokes. There's a there's a picture I put up of uh, Vostok Inc. I was playing a few months ago that literally just had a quote from the guy in the game saying "Lali Lule Low, wait, wrong game." That was the joke. Yeah, they're bad. These are bad people who make video games. Guess what? Bad at comedy. Not trained comedians. Not even like trained bad comedians. Just bad at comedy. Um, it's a shame. I like it when there's an actual funny game. You're like, shit, right, being funny. It's a nice thing. Yeah, being funny is like a difficult skill most people don't have, though, right? Because it's a thing you have to cultivate and work at. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Yeah, No, it's hard. And I, I like it when it does happen. Yep. Uh, I Do we have any more takes? We've kind of... Like, this no, no, no. no. This, is, much... this, is, this has gone in directions I could not have imagined. I think we're fine. No, we can yes. return to the future recording that uh, bookended this show. Some would say the floor of this discussion... No! So it's been a month. Uh, how do, have you figured out how games criticism should work? Uh, in fact, <laughs> given the fact that I'm playing God of War for review now, or not review, but for critique, you, you are no, I know, you are playing that game for review. Uh, you are essentially playing that game for review. I could not tell. I mean, the thing I write will not be a review, probably. No, but you uh, uh, bought that game, have been paid to produce a piece about it. You're playing it for review. 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The fact that this is a question just shows how well we have figured out how games <laughs> criticism should work in the intervening months. Yeah, no, I, I realized what our segment was and realized that you were in the middle of playing God of War and hating your entire existence. Uh, <laughs> what if we just stopped playing video games forever? I'd be so much happier. I'm a week from being able to play video games again. I have like three like series that I love that I'm going to go through. Uh, it's gonna be great for me. Like I've got Zelda games to play. I'm gonna play the Castlevanias. I'm gonna play the Yuxas. I want to play some Ratchet and Clank because I've never really played that. I'm just it's every, every whole realm of possibilities. You should go. You know, do something. You've already played the good video games. <laughs> I uh, I downloaded Bejeweled Stars. I think it's called oh, last no. night. Heart Heartbreak. Um, which is like the new Bejeweled game, but it, it's got like levels, like boards you specifically clear and move on to the next board. Um. It is bejeweled, obviously, which is great, but every time you clear a board, it does, like, uh, Peggle-esque religious music about how good you are for clearing this board that took you 45 seconds to clear. It's ridiculous. PopCap are never not on their bullshit. <laughs> Wait, you mean, like, it's, you know, equivalent of Ode to Joy, or that it literally has lyrics saying, you've done great? No, it's like, it's like, just like a choral chanting. It okay. almost sounds like they're going, Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> it's That's like how I it's feel when ludicrous. I it is a heavenly bullshit, and it's it's absurd to put that in a bejeweled game. <laughs> I expected but, you to give me some like heartbreaking, you know, microtransaction garbage for uh, bejeweled. Well, so you can also okay. buy or craft keys to open chests that get you emojis that you can use in the in-game ch chat system. <laughs> Imagine just like you're staring at bejeweled. You're like a businessman. You're like staring bejeweled in the face like a tiger, thinking, "What can I monetize here?" <laughs> Is there even anything that can be? And obviously, like, like the actual answer is all the blitz stuff they figured out with the dual blitz, which you hate on a fundamental yes. level. It is like morally objectionable. No, so this also has all of that stuff, but you have to craft it out of pieces you acquire by playing the boards. Okay, so it's just been abstracted out a level. Yes, it's and you don't need any of it because it's just bejeweled. Like I'm decent enough at bejeweled. I don't really. I so far in the three worlds I've played through, I've not needed any of it. But well, I've I've played some bejeweled blitz in my time, and the boosts you get that you can pay for definitely help out a lot. Yep. Uh, but I know you would never, you would never touch anything other than pure bejeweled. Uh, I mean, I'm playing this game, so I fucking ruined that already. I but. guess, I guess you already did. Before that, I would yeah, I would swear about Bejeweled 3 up and down. It's, it's very calming. Yeah, it's good. I mean, no, it's not. It's calming right up to the point where it's like the most stressful game ever made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. We've got some questions. We do. If people want to send us questions, where would they do that? They would send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Just put, you know, uh, you can put a normal mapping in the subject. If it's about video games, we'll figure out where it's where it's going to go we don't get so many emails that it's a problem uh so please just send us an email and we will read them on the show uh before you read emails jackson i have one twitter question i got oh go ahead i've only i've only got the email ones right here yes so uh this is from cara uh she asks are we ever going to end up using a better classification system for games than our current genre system uh the answer is no no uh, what I would recommend you do, like, if you're sorting your, like, Steam library, which I do, uh, create your own genres. Just live your life. Know what your, like, predilections are and create your own genre. I mean, the problem for this is always, it's been, it's been getting worse as every game becomes the same game above a certain, like, budget. Yep. Um, as, you know, and there's, there's obvious genres, like, these are the roguelikes, but that just means has permadeath and a run-based system now. That doesn't, like, actually mean that much. 
Yeah. The uh, the classifications are always kind of bad and wishy-washy. I wouldn't worry about it too much. Um it's fine. Cuz like what does action adventure game mean anyway? It's fucking meaningless. Zelda is what it means. I know what me. it means. <laughs> but do like do action adventure games exist anymore? Zelda aside from Nintendo. Like Mario is a platform. I mean, this is arguably God of War is one of these. That's I'm my playing point. It right now. But I wouldn't I don't know. I feel like when I when I started caring about games, that brought with it some kind of implication about the tone. And God of War definitely has a much more serious tone. Uh you know. So I don't I don't know like these things have different implications for everyone and they're wishy washy and meaningless and I don't I don't know. think I don't think genre in video games implies tone really, because they're all mechanical descriptors. Yeah, no, they are, but just, I always assumed that because action-adventure meant like Zelda, it would always have, like, a slightly more adventurous, happier I don't know, like, Papo EO is a platformer. It is not like Mario in tone. That is true. Yes, I I literally only meant for those words, me growing up. I mean, every genre has, like, a tonal description. Okay, fair enough. Because, yes, if you jump off things, it's a platformer. Uh, yeah, that's true. But, yeah, it'll never get better. It just, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Oh, that's that's the reaction to all video games these days. It'll never get better. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I meant. I meant it's... it's oh, you turned that back on me very well. <laughs> I didn't turn it back on you. I think that's where I'm at with video games. Well, you're the one playing God of War. Yeah, I mean, I, you will be. Yeah, but I look at video games as like this amazing, hopeful, beautiful thing as I am trapped fucking writing thousands of words about, you know, a fake TV show that I made up that sucks. Uh, that's fair. I'm like, what if I wrote about a fake TV show that I made up <laughs> instead of ever playing a video game again? To be fair, the fake TV show that I made up that sucks, it, 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 I made it up and it sucks, but it's also pretty good. Uh, okay. Right. Let's go through these questions. Um, should I just read these out? Yeah, go from the bottom up. Go from the bottom up. Okay, so our first is from Gus Bremer. Which reads, Hey Emma Jackson, I was curious as to your thoughts and expectations on Nintendo Labo, since it seems very interesting, but in typical Nintendo fashion, very different from most other video game stuff. Cheers, Gus. Uh, YouTube annotation link, your face would never.fyi, because. <laughs> Yeah, so we talked about it for quite some time. You've uh, talked about it extensively already. Yes. I've enjoyed my time with the variety pack, which is what we bought. Um, it's probably too expensive for video game people, but it doesn't seem particularly that expensive compared to, like, edutainment toys for kids, because they're very fucking expensive. Oh, my God. Um, you could just build Gunpla. That's cheaper, for sure. But um, I don't know. I, I hope they make more, um, and I hope they're more like the variety pack and less like the robot, is my general takeaway. Yeah, it seems very cool. I don't, like, have any interest in it. I'll just go build some actual Gunpla. Because uh, I'm, like, you know, I've, I, there are things I would want to do in terms of building stuff, but I don't really care about Labo. Um, is there is there a Labo set that you would actually get if they made it? I've no idea. Like, conceptually, I have no idea. Like, the, if the fishing rod one was, like, 20 pounds on its own, I might get that. Like, if it was just a, you know, standalone. I wonder wonder if maybe they would end up doing that where they sell individual kits, uh, like the most popular ones as they like expand out. And then you get the soft, like comes with like a redemption code for that just piece of software on the eShop or whatever. Yeah, because the the fishing rod one seems really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. So, but but like all of like ideas that don't exist yet. I've got no idea. I don't really care. Like I'm not the target audience for this. Um, And if there are stuff I want to build, there's like other directions I will go to get that fix. Um, Fair enough. So I, it seems cool. The one thing I do, I do think it's uh, 
the one thing I have taken away from it, from what you've said and from the things I've seen, is that I really want other companies to be so fucking insanely rich uh, that they can lavishly produce what is essentially an ex- instruction booklet to this level of detail. Like, Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> like, the software is just, here's how you build the thing and then a small game. But the, like, amount of detail and polish that Nintendo has put into, uh, like, the way the instruction booklet part works is, like, just a level of showing off about how rich they are. It's ridiculous. Like, it's got an entire dynamic music soundtrack in the way that a lot of Nintendo games have that, like, fades away as you're building and then comes back up as you, like, click the next instruction. Uh, it's you know you can rewind you can look at any of the instructions in certain ways oh, all presented yes in very... also while like those instructions are entirely 3d models that you can like zoom in and rotate yes. around yeah it's not video it's 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 incredibly like detailed and it's like what i would love to be the standard of like any virtual instruction booklet but obviously it will never be because why would anyone make something this ridiculous for what is essentially a list of numbers and pictures uh, yeah. So that's that's been my takeaway from Labo. It's just a thing that I've been slightly exposed to. Yep. All right. Next, we have an email from Nora Blake. Uh, Hello there. I've only very recently started listening to you after a recommendation from my friend Allison, and I wanted to say I'm enjoying it so far. Thank you very much. Everyone, if they're enjoying it, should email and tell us. We love validation. We crave validation. Yes. Also, <laughs> please be a good listener like Allison and tell one of your friends to listen to our shows. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, please do. I guess you could review us on iTunes. We have never asked for that because we yeah, don't, I don't really know. go. I don't really care. Uh, but if you uh, like what I actually really would like is for you to tell a friend about one of our like podcasts and listen to it. Yeah, because uh, we don't really uh, we plug as much as we can. But, you know, it's hard. Like growing an audience is very difficult. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. Uh, the only question I have is, considering the black and red color themes, tragic backstory, hidden evil powers, evil scientist antagonists, and dead girlfriends, how do I cope with the revelation that Vincent Valentine and Shadow the Hedgehog are basically the same, exactly the same character? Cheers, Nora Blake. Uh, uh, so the difference is that uh, Vincent cool. Valentine... Uh, like Vincent Valentine got like nice guyed by a lady and went into a coffin for like 30 years. And Shadow <laughs> the Hedgehog is like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't be a monster and like ground down a rail and like did a kickflip or something. Like Shadow the Hedgehog's cool and Vincent Shadow sucks. The Hedgehog. Yes, this is the di- the key difference is that while they are both like very extreme uh, early 2000s slash late 90s characters um, that play to a similar type and seem superficially similar, Shadow is good. This is the unknown mapping take. Shadow is good. Vincent's kind of lame. Um, we did we didn't even like Vincent when we played FF Seven. Like I remember feeling like no, I think I think Vincent's like a fucking tool and his like air of like I need to be like he's clearly meant to be the cool character that all the goth kids relate to, and thus I hate him. He's so boring. Well, like I came to FF Seven with like a lot of baggage from just culture, so some things worked out for the better. And that I expected Cloud to be like a cool hero with a sword, and he's an idiot dork who sucks. So I like Cloud a lot, um, but Vincent was like portrayed as really cool and like you know just was art everywhere and i had seen advent children before and he's like all over that just moping uh and he's just like oh, i'm in this coffin because it's some girl i guess i'm like yeah. vincent you suck bring back shadow uh shadow the hedgehog or shadow the ninja <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know what you meant in this context i definitely meant shadow the hedgehog because that's what we were talking about why would i be talking about shadow the ninja 
Well, you thought you said bring back Shadow as if like bring back the good, cool manufactured Final Fantasy yes, character, no, which I is Shadow the Ninja. How you made that leap? But we're not talking about. All right. Well, because I thought you meant what if you open that coffin and like Shadow the Ninja was there, but then you wanted it to be you open that coffin and Shadow the Hedgehog is there, and I I'll mean... play that game, but Spears <laughs> not gonna make that game. Oh, you mean Cloud hanging out with Sonic? God, Cloud hanging out with Sonic would be perfect. I mean, Smash Brothers for Wii U. Shit! <laughs> Phoenix down. There's already a game. It already exists. Oh, I'm so heartbroken that they took Snake out of that game because I want the codec about Cloud. <laughs> yes, 100%. I want the codec about Cloud. I absolutely do not want the codec about Bayonetta ever. Oh, no, you could. Oh, it depends who writes it. You could. No, it will, you know it'll be bad. You know it'll be oh. the fucking worst. Th- that, no, because there are moments that they, the Smash Brothers codec could have gone real bad and they generally don't. Are, are they Campbell or Otacon? I don't remember. They switch. It switches between. Okay. There's Campbell, there's Otacon, and Mei Ling. Because Otacon's going to be like, oh, she's got that librarian look, and it's going to be the fucking worst. don't have Otacon. <laughs> oh, God. I don't want to even think about Otacon <laughs> and Bayonetta and just say, oh, how th- you've ruined everything. I can't believe you've done this. <laughs> <laughs> Eat shit, Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Hoisted again. Right. Let's get through these questions. Uh, next question is from Alison Graham. Uh, is that the same, Alison? I don't know surnames. So there we go. Yeah. Um, hi, y'all. Question one. This is uh, two questions. Uh, two short questions. What will video games be like in the year the Great Gundam Project ends, assuming no more Gundam is made between then and now? Uh, they so- announced a new Gundam series this week, and there's like leaked documents about like two others. So there will be more Gundam made between then and now. <laughs> well, I'm going to the spreadsheet now. We'll see if Sam, who is the person who manages the spreadsheet, is a friend of ours who was like, I'm going to make you a spreadsheet to help you, but it's actually your own personal hell. Um... <laughs> They have already added narrative to the list. <laughs> good, 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 good. Is narrative, like, is narrative a movie or is it a series? I think it's a movie, right? They have not uh, put the details in because we don't okay. they don't know the length of it yet, but it is ready on the list for details to be filled out. Thank you so much, Sam. Good. But as There's it stands, a Gundam called the Gundam Narrative. That's its name. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's good. Um, so, as it stands... Uh, we will have finished our final episode of the... If we continue the pace of two a week, um, which and uh, uh, Sam has helpfully paced out the movies with an equivalent pace as well, uh, at AVAs, we will be done on the 5th of April, 2026. Will Final Fantasy VII Remake be out? Like all of it? Like all of it. Like, will it be done? No. 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 No, well. No. Fucking reboot of Evangelion of Games. I think I think I think two parts of it will be out and then they will not continue making it. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they have to finish it. No, they don't. I guess they don't. Xeno uh... Saga. <laughs> oh, if if we get an equivalent that is just like the entire final act of Final Fantasy VII done in two hours of a modern video game. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> Yes, please. Oh my god. I need it. I crave it. Just fucking... But you know what that means? That means that you skydive into Midgar and fight Sephiroth there, and that's a way better game than actual Final Fantasy VII. Oh, you don't have... like So, you mean no one fucks on a rock? <laughs> yeah, okay. No one... Well, you're gonna miss fucking on a rock, which is sad. Maybe you can unlock that or something beforehand. You just, you just move. They just fuck on a rock before they attack Midgar. Yeah, of course. 
you know, you can rewrite that. Yeah, I guess you could streamline the back half of that game to happen very quickly. I've yeah. seen 2.2. You go to fight Hojo, and then Sephiroth just comes down and, like, cuts him in half. And it's like, you fight me now. I don't even remember what you're doing at the end of that game. Like, there's some, like, he's unlocking, you know, Genova and everything. He's in the center of the planet because when Meteor hits, it's going to damage the planet enough that the life screen is going to swell up yes, and it's going to give him enough power to make him a god. I remember the plan, but I don't remember why that, like, I can't think of any reason why you couldn't, with like a couple of lines, change that to him being in Midgar. Oh, no, absolutely not. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, well, Because so <laughs> Midgar could just be, like, the top of the Shinra Tower could just be the tallest point in all of the planet, and he could go there to, like, meet the meteor like it's the Nexus in Generations. It'd just be... <laughs> <laughs> so, one, that's amazing. Two, it'd just be that cutscene from Crisis Core. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is cool as hell. Yes. Uh, okay, so aside from Final Fantasy Remake, <laughs> what about video games will have changed and stayed the same by 2026? Will Fucking there nothing. be video games? Or there will be video games, they will be the exact same. Or will it have burned down? What were video games like uh, eight years ago, Jackson? Were they the any different than same. now? Well, yeah. no, but, but eight years before that, they were different. Like, 2010 is when I think of as video games kind of crystallized into just being this forever. I think it's just going to be this forever. Just the big games are going to get bigger and fewer and more identical. Yeah, and then the, the mid-tier games will be like the games now, like a little cheaper, and the small games will be the small games, but nothing's going to change. Yep. Graphics cards will still be too expensive. <laughs> what will the next Nintendo console be? A fucking one of these again. Just another Switch? They can't do another Switch. Yes, they can. They can do another Switch, but it would have to be... Like, it's going to be it's gonna be like a, like a good whack of time, but they could just do another one. Sure, but I think if they do one that is the same concept, they would have to make everything from the Switch still work. Mm, I, I mean, don't you could think... probably make that happen. Like, it just runs off of a Tiger chip, right? Like, yeah, the I... architecture probably is not going to change that much. I think if it's just the... Because everything's been... The rate of this growth has been slowing down that in about seven years, Nintendo could put out a fucking Switch 2 to the level of the PS4, right? Yeah. They don't give a shit. Yeah. Nothing's going to change. People buy new iPads. You never need a new iPad until your iPad breaks. Like, whatever. Fuck off. Correct. They can make new Switches all they want. They put all this technology in it, and all I use it for is to read comics. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing the iPad's good for. Yeah. Watching Star Trek, reading comics. Correct. No, it is the, right, because it's 4.3. <laughs> yeah. Yes, nothing's going to fucking change. Um, and two... The Kotaku piece about the PS5 rumors has me thinking about the future and wondering, will this medium ever get better at archiving its own history in accessible ways? Will kids in 2038 have any way to play games in 2018 easily? Or will they have to look at sketchy emulation sites and hope the corporate overlords didn't take the ROMs down? Thanks, Ali. This is the bigger discussion. No, so... stopping you. Stopping you. This is the bigger discussion because we've been talking it. We have had like a philosophical divide. About I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't even going to bring that up, honestly. Okay. Um, um, I was just going to answer this because that's more about like my personal philosophy about the world these yes. days and less about the answering this question. Okay. Well, fair enough. But th th the bigger discussion is one I'm sure we'll have in another episode down the line, but it is uh, like a full episode to talk. Uh, sketchy emulation sites and torrents of all the GBA ROMs are the easy ways to archive games. It already exists. That's them. You're looking at it. Yeah. Uh, the Switch will never put a virtual console on it. You will never be able to play all Nintendo games and people will just emulate I mean, it or not. you will be able to play like six of them when you pay for their online service when it finally launches, but that's it. Yeah, but they'll be like Nesca. They yeah. will, within the next four years, will you be able to play Link to the Past on a Switch? No, because they can't put multiplayer in it. <laughs> <laughs> for for Joy-Con Adventure. 
Oh, I would not be surprised if they put Four Swords Adventures back out, but not Link to the Past. <laughs> but not Link to the Past! <laughs> That'd be incredible. Um, um, yeah, I, th- I oh, think there'll ahead. be less affi- like I think there'll be even less official uh, emulate uh, like emulation of backwards compatibility unless unless fortunes turn around for Microsoft on the strength of this alone. I think Sony will continue to be fucking you know we don't give a shit Sony for as long as they will be allowed to have that hubris. Uh, I can see care. the PS5 playing PS4 games. I think that makes sense to me. PS4 games, yes. Yeah. So I mean, hmm. Well, yeah, the question. No, what they're going, what they're going to do next generation is they're going to turn off the PS3 and fucking be free again. Well, so like if we say if we assume that everything from the PS4 onwards is basically always going to be around in some level, not with the server, the servers will go down, but for the most part, the PS5 will be assumed to be work with the PS4, right? Yeah. But then there is really, it really is just like maybe the PS3 era and before that gets lost. Yeah. Um, and to like be more general. Uh, video games are much better about archiving their early history than any other medium has ever been. Well, it's because we have, like, for as much as the industry doesn't care, and the industries in general have never cared, we have grown up with, you know, torrents of GBA ROMs. Like, yeah. early films could not torrent early films. Yeah. Uh, we used Nesticle back in the day. <laughs> did, did you? Yeah, I use Nesticle all the time. Yeah, do you anymore? No, absolutely not. <laughs> there are better then, emulators out there. Nesticle could continue to be updated. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. No, there's no. There's no bleeding nutsack on my computer anymore. <laughs> All right, Nesticle. I always forget that that's an awful pun because the nineties. Yes. Yep. But yeah, I, I. I don't know if people. I don't know. I. Who? The problem is like so many games of this era specifically, like between 2012 and today, most of them have some kind of connected service that's kind of crucial. Um, yeah. And that's gone. Yeah. I mean, but like archiving also is like things on YouTube. Like the I'm more worried about YouTube going away than I am video game servers going down. If YouTube could entire I'm waiting for at some point YouTube to go there's too much of this we're cutting back everything with below a certain number of views before 2015. They could totally do that on a certain, like yep. on any given day. Um, and all of culture will go away in when that yeah. happens. <laughs> yeah, no. And not only can they do that, but they will do that and it is inevitable that it will have to happen one day cuz YouTube is just exponentially increasing and also becoming exponentially more dominant as just where the videos go. Mm-hmm. So, at some point, yeah, they'll just like a bunch will be lost. Yep. Uh it's going to be weird. Yeah. But I guess that's mini archive talk for a second there. Yeah. Speaking I mean, YouTube, enjoy the video enjoy the video games you can, get old games however you can. Emulation's fine, don't worry about it. It's not that hard to get emulation as long as you're not looking for Nintendo ROMs. And even then, you can get them. You can get them. You can get them. Uh, Go ahead. Next question. So next question, speaking of YouTube, uh, is from Issa. And Issa says, How do you feel about watching full playthroughs instead of playing games? I was totally fine with watching a montage of all the cutscenes for a few games, but then I watched a more or less full playthrough of a visual novel for a closure on story and felt quite guilty about it. I didn't want to play through the game, uh, but I might have if the recording didn't exist. This is a question I've been wanting to send to other podcasts for a while. Most of these outlets do full playthroughs themselves, so they might be pretty biased. Um, 
I mean, we, we do, do full plays. playthroughs. Yes, yeah. I do Let's Plays. I don't much anymore, but I have a bunch of games you can watch the full playthroughs of. Uh, if you enjoy those games, I always suggest supporting them. Like, buy them on sale if you have the money, or don't if you don't have the money. Like, whatever, who cares? One person's not going to make or break a thing. I watch full playthroughs of games. There are games that we have talked about on podcasts on our network that I have not played through and watched in stone YouTube. <laughs> and have not disclosed this in the podcast to the people you're recording with. Uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the experience at all, especially for a visual novel. Especially. Uh, I think I think watching games is fine. I think it is better to watch the entire playthrough than just watch the cutscenes. Watching the cutscenes takes away the very nature of like the game itself because games are more than just cutscenes. And if that's not true, then the game is bad. Uh huh. Um, yeah, I feel fine. I feel fine with any of this. Um, I th- I think I am more okay with just watching cutscenes if you have to, depending on what the game is. Um, but I, I I don't understand just watching cutscenes. Watch the goddamn well, because, game. Put it on two times speed. There's a lot of um. There's a lot of games. One that are really. Are you gonna? Someone say they want to play Final Fantasy Thirteen Two. What are you gonna have them do? You're gonna say watch an entire sixty fucking hour playthrough of Final Fantasy Thirteen, all those head numbingly boring battles, or just watch the cutscenes? That is that is inherent to playing that game though. Like. If you just watch the cutscenes, you might as well just fucking read Wikipedia. Like that's the same level no! of engagement no, than watching not. someone it, actually go through it. it is, I fundamentally disagree with you. I think like, but th- by this token, like your thing that you do, which is turn off all the fucking combat in games and like cheat engine shit, is also a, like a hate. Like I, I think that's arguing that that is a uh, bad thing as well. I think that those, I mean, that's the same it, argument. If you want to argue it's compromise, I don't necessarily disagree. I think it's also compromise. Just watch the movie version of the game with all the cutscenes. Yeah, but like you know, when you're not always watching a game to get like a true and full experience of you know. Sometimes you just want to see what happened in the cutscenes, and you don't want to have waste okay, time playing. Okay, put it the game. this way: if I if so, we have a spreadsheet of the games that we like play and touch or whatever. Yes. If I only watch the cutscenes, I wouldn't put it in the spreadsheet. If I watch the entire game, I would. I mean, that's fair. I think it depends on the game, though. Um, I really does. I like. I, I think if it's a fucking eighty-hour RPG and you put the cutscenes in, that's that's totally valid. I, I would agree. I, mean, I, I can't think the... of a single RPG where the part that's good is in the cutscenes. Well, in the story, you would also have the people talking to each other. Yeah, okay, fair well, enough. Like, so, so like a lot—that's my thing—is a lot of these uh, full movies um, these days like edit the gameplay in to get like a truncated version of what the gameplay yeah. is. I mean, that's what my Final Fantasy thirteen playthrough is. I cut out almost all the random encounters after a certain point. Yeah, and there's a lot of like, okay, so we're gonna put the gameplay in here, but it's not taking up like seventy hours. It's giving you like enough context so you understand what you know what happens. Uh, there's some Metal Gear ones that I don't agree with at all. So like, so there's a Metal Gear full movie uh, channel. It's obviously really popular because everyone wants to watch the Metal Gear games um, cutscenes because of course they do. Yeah, why would you want to play Metal Gear Solid Four? It's a fucking <laughs> terrible game. Even the cutscene edit is eight hours. Yeah. Uh, and one thing that they do return to zero, Jackson. <laughs> no, one thing that they do that this is this I did don't agree with, um, but I thought was interesting as a decision is so. Uh, Metal Gear Solid 3, you parachute in and then you sit down and there's a very long cutscene right? as he explains what you're going to be doing on this mission. Uh, they edit it in such a way that it keeps showing the gameplay over the codec conversation so they put the two... Huh. The, they have him go I don't. Through, I don't hate that actually. And they time it as well so it's like the, the conversation in that scene is he gives you a bunch of details and then the boss shows up and gives you a bunch of you know actual thematic important material so they time it so he gets to the like the part where Sokolov is uh, editing the gameplay together through the like you know and here's you know your cyanide pills in your tooth blah 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 and then it cuts to the actual codec for the conversation with the boss 
Um, so there's, there's like been work in this spaces of like trying to turn edits of games into ways to preserve what the game is in shorter time spans. So I, I don't know. I think it depends on the like actual game because yes, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's definitely like, some things that you. Can't the answer is clearly highly personalized. I yes. think you shouldn't feel bad for playing that like watching that entire game um if you like enjoyed the game and have money to give them maybe give them some money but like if it's like Rampa 3 or something fuck off don't give them any of your money go buy something else <laughs> yeah it's important to be said that like as we're like having this discussion there's no moral ju- like it's a video game it doesn't matter like you can watch it yeah. you can play it you can do whatever you want like we're just talking about what how we would prefer to experience things but it doesn't none of this matters really just enjoy the thing the way that you want to enjoy the thing it's fine if you feel guilty about the money side that's separate from how you spend your time yeah i mean give them the money if you have it and if you want to if not don't yep. and just try to get over feeling guilty about it because the guilt is entirely of manufactured of capitalism being like if you did not pay for this and have the full story where you played 100 percent of the video game you did not spend your money wisely or you did something illegal feel guilty yes uh it's, but it's no, bad and dumb it's bad and dumb all right, two more questions. Yes. Uh, this is from Jasmine, uh, who's uh, Sidemon on Twitter. Um, uh, and uh, she says, Hey, so one thing's got. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Hey, so one thing my roommates got me into watching on YouTube lately has been a group that mod GTA 5 to have multiplayer where you're expected to have an in game life. This has me curious if you know any communities that are built up around a play space outside the norm. I know there was a modern community for Breath of the Wild, but I don't know if multiplayer ever happened. Obviously, that's a bit of a pipe dream of mine. Anyway, I hope this episode has been fun. It's been a fun time. We've had a good time podcasting today. Thank you. No, it's been miserable. Fuck I'm us. hungry. Yeah, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm really hungry. <laughs> um, uh, so uh breath of the wild probably will never have multiplayer for one would be my guess but also i don't like multiplayer games so i'm the absolute wrong person to ask about any of this well like the answer for the like big modded in multiplayer is just cause 2 right yeah but that's not outside the norm like that just enhances the things just cause 2 did well right <laughs> but it's if we're talking about mods that modded multiplayer into games where there was no oh sure multiplayer. but this was specifically about like how does this like mods in which specifically the ga- the way people play the game is different than how the game is meant to like necessarily be experienced and so if someone modded farming and it just caused two that's what we'd be talking about here uh like yes but i don't know like i guess the equivalent would be like the star trek mod of stellaris right like if you want to yeah. mod like there are whole games that are all about modding the rules of them to have play them with other people uh with like, it's just house rules it's just like it, i mean once you get yeah. away from like video games about 3d spaces with locked multiplayer servers uh changing this stuff is a much more normal thing yeah i think so a thing i think about is the uh like the uh bethesda games that had a bunch of mod content then slowly rolled into the actual games like building your own houses and community management stuff the entire second large expansion for skyrim was just a mod that people liked that they took yes um so yeah that that's that's all i've got i'm probably not the person to ask though i don't play games with people if i can help it (laughs) no you don't uh we should play some spy party there we should play some spy party Okay, final question here. Uh, this is from... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Disco Shark, I'm going to pronounce your name wrong. Uh, from Mauricio? Mauricio? Mauricio. Mauricio, yes. Um, the recent... 
Camposanto news and my probably unfounded fear of that team getting sucked into the Valve policy of never release a game again made me think about how the walking simulator might be my favourite genre of game right now. I really like the way many of those games do their storytelling and a sense of loneliness they have. Don't think I've ever heard you folks talk about walking simulators. (laughs) (laughs) Very possibly I just missed it. Uh, I was wondering how you feel about them. Also talk about the Camposanto thing if you're so inclined. So back when we launched this podcast, the subtitle was The Walking Simulator of Video Game Podcast. It sure was. Um, We've been doing this for so long. Yeah. Um, We love them. I love Walking Simulators. I wouldn't say they're my favorite genre because I think uh, these days people don't make too many of them. And a lot of them are like, there's so many of them that are just like, I made a quick Unity thing and I don't really have anything to say other than here's a cool space, which are fine. But I'm not like, I don't feel strongly about that anymore. Um, but I enjoyed like the genre itself. I know there's uh, still there are still. Like, I would I would say Firewatch is not actually much of a walking simulator. I think it's much more of an adventure game. I would agree with that. Well, so I mean, so what? Because basically that genre evolved and like a lot of people took inspiration from that kind of stuff to the point where it is like less of a you know walking simulator thing and more just means um, game with a first person narrative where you explore spaces usually with no other people present. Mm-hmm. Um, like. Te- Ooh, I don't know if I don't think if I I don't think I even agree I don't even, with yeah, usually I don't, no other people that was, present <laughs> yeah no because I, I was like I guess Virginia fits into this as well and that's got lots of people present or like or like Gravity Bone there's tons of people in Gravity Bone <laughs> yeah but Gravity Bone is like before this became a codified thing it's one of the things that people like you know Gravity Bones when was Gravity Bone yeah 30 Flights yeah. Loving like that game came out well into the walking simulator thing mm-hmm. uh, and then there's like um what remains of Edith Finch, which like wears the shell of one of these, but then all the games are like bespoke mini games. Yeah. Uh, so it's become a much bigger thing, uh, but they're good. I like it. Uh, video games are good. I should play Tacoma. Yes, you should. Like the magic circle has like a thousand mechanics and is just one of these still. It, uh, it has too many mechanics. Someone. Say. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I would, I would also say it has too many mechanics. <laughs> like, What if we put a bunch? I, I know it's a game about game mechanics. That's like the point of the game. Oh, there's a lot of stuff you got to do to get to the end of that, but it's a pretty good time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we are pro walking simulator, and the other thing with the Campo Santo stuff. Which. So do you want to tell people briefly what the Campo Santo thing is? Campo Santo made Firewatch, if you don't know. Uh, also, uh, like caveat here, they are headed up by multiple members of the Adult Thumbs podcast, which is a podcast we have loved forever, and this podcast is modeled entirely after them in what? a lot of ways. No way. We literally started this podcast. Oh, you're being facetious. I thought you were actually arguing. <laughs> hoisted. Hoisted. <laughs> oh, you're babe. We are hungry, aren't we? <laughs> yes. Okay. I've had one fun-sized mounds bar today, and I've been let's, up for like five hours. Let's give this contact. Let's do the plugs out, and let's fuck off. This podcast oh. like... Okay, so anyway, they made Firewatch. They recently got acquired by Valve. If you don't know, Valve runs Steam. They used to make video games, but they don't really do that anymore outside of Dota. Um, And they were like, it's great because they were... Literally, the Campo Santo thing is like, well, they would give us enough money to make whatever we wanted, and we're all going to die someday. So we said, yeah, sure, let's take it. (laughs) Yeah, so... um... I had a more reserved reaction to this than you, but I don't necessarily disagree with that. Like, Jackson, they're going to take the money, and they're not going to give it back. Oh, uh, we can't, we can't just <laughs> insert in-jokes, like deep in-jokes <laughs> from Idle Thumbs. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they did, st- <laughs> uh, 
I guess their theme song is about setting sail for like this unknown treasure that no one has heard of. <laughs> yes, which is Valve releasing a video game. <laughs> Valve releasing a video game. <laughs> there is stories told of a treasure all. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, like the, the what I assume this is going to go is they will basically this is a comparison only in terms of the business arrangement. They will basically be like a giant bomb equivalent of Valve, in the giant bomb just sit in the office and do their own thing. But they make enough money that they are left alone. I don't expect this to like impede on their process. I don't think Valve are like gonna, you know, make them change their games. They don't care. They have infinite money. Yeah, and then when everyone asks Valve, why don't you make games anymore? They can point to this team and be like, they make games. We own them. We make games. Yeah, like, did they say that? I know they're moving to Seattle. Yeah, so one of the things I think is really interesting and maybe, like, I'm not talked about. I listened to another podcast where the host recently left San Francisco. Um, and he talked about specifically moving out of San Francisco yes. as its own special hell where moving companies charge thousands of dollars because they know you're desperate to get out of this hellscape where you're paying infinite rent for everything. Um, so for Valve to come in and be like, we're going to move you all to Seattle. You, you will just take care of it. It'll be part of acquiring you. I would take that in a fucking heartbeat. Are you yes. kidding me? You all get moved. You all get new jobs. It, the Kotaku article was like, they went to uh, Valve's company retreat in Hawaii recently. <laughs> yes, I will take a trip to Hawaii and being moved, all expensive paid, and a nice cush job in like the infinite money pit of video games and still make the game I was already going to make. I would take that deal in a heartbeat. Are you kidding me? How could you ever not? And they're not going to give it back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even if it goes bad and like they make Valley of the Kings and it comes out and whatever, and then they wallow in Valve land where they never actually release a game again, they're getting paid. I like their podcasts. They'll probably keep doing those. Eventually they might leave and just form new companies like everyone does. And that's fine too. Like, but they won't be living in San Francisco I, anymore, so they'll be fine. Yes, uh, they won't be living there. I also don't necessarily think it's like good to expect like teams to always be together and always be doing the thing they're doing with their lives, right? Oh, yeah, no. I mean, like, this was already a team of, like, a, it was, Campus Center was founded and, like, framed as, like, some developer supergroup, right? Because it was the Mark of Ninja guy, it was the Walking Dead guys, it was, um, Ollie, Ollie Moss, is that the name? Yeah, the Mark yeah. of the Ninja guy already left, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, but, like, that's what I mean, is it was, it was a group of people coming together from other places that they had done, like, interesting stuff before. I don't think there was ever an expectation that Campus Santo was going to be, like, a rigid team forever. Um, like, I don't expect, you know, uh, Sean and Jake to stop working together, because, you know, they are ride or die for life. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, aside from that, I don't think it's, like, guaranteed that 100%, like, you know, they're not going to keep making fake Firewatchers till the end of time. No one wants to do that. Yeah. They, they probably don't want to do that. We don't... I don't want them to do that. I wonder if this means that their third game will be more, like, system-focused and ambitious. Because I know they mm. always talk about, we'd like to be able to do a systems game, but there are 12 of us. Yeah. Um... Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I think I think the reality is with small, like, prestige teams like this, you should never expect more than a couple games out of them. And that's fine. That's natural. Like, people break apart and form new dev studios that they want to make a game or two and then reconfigure. And that's just kind of life in, like, the post-AAA being ubiquitous space. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, fucking I'm glad those guys got paid. I would take that money, too. <laughs> yeah. 
because <laughs> Jackson was all like, mm, hmm, I don't know. And I was like, no, get paid. I'd get paid in a heartbeat. I'd sell up normal mapping to Valve tomorrow. My, to be fair, my mm-hmm was like, I was on the edge of like subscribing to Idle Thumbs Patreon because I'm sick of listening to the fucking ads. Um, oh, okay, fair but enough. But I don't, I don't really want to pay for them if they're getting that Valve money. It's specifically the Idle Thumbs Patreon. I want that stuff to be... I want to get the ad free. I don't want that podcast to have no ads. That's a very selfish want from yep, the Valve that's money. Uh, but that's the only thing. Like, in terms of just the video game studio, yeah. No, like, fucking sell out, I don't care. And yeah. I don't even mean sell out as a bad thing. Like, get paid. Yeah. Everyone gets acquired by someone one day. You may, like, a, what could... No, they could get bought by EA. Who gives a shit? Like, they've lucked out way better than that. Yeah. Seems like a good deal. They don't even have to be in San Francisco anymore. Oh, that's like the heaven. The best thing of all is getting out of San Francisco. Can you imagine how happy they all are? And also, they're all going together. So, um, I mean, is Nick still... Nick's founding a new studio, too. Yes. I mean, so Nick Brecken is part of the Idle Thumbs Network. He yes, went to a- Canada because... Whatever. This is kind of in... He went to Canada. He's like doing... Contra- he's been doing contract work, right? Yes, he's been... Because he worked on um, Star Wars Battlefront 2 stuff. Uh, yeah. Or like VR. Just, just doing contract work for games. Um, and he created a new studio, but his studio in the jobs thing specifically is like, this is all remote. So I assume whatever he's putting together is everyone's just on a group call talking about their work every day. Does this mean he comes to Seattle with idle thumbs? Mm, I don't know. Maybe. I, know, I maybe. mean, maybe he just stays in Canada, whatever. They don't, they're gonna have to move the idle thumbs studio. I thought that they said when he moved to Canada, that it was a specifically a six month trip and he would be coming back. Yes. But as because, all things in life, who can ever predict? I mean, if he stays in Canada, that's fine. But imagine coming back to San Francisco and all your friends are left. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> um, my apologies if you don't face. listen to Idle Thumbs or an Important of True, because the end of this podcast is just some fucking bullshit you don't care about. Nick Brecken arriving in San Francisco and everyone's gone. <laughs> oh, that's the perfect Nick Brecken experience. <laughs> bum, bum, boom, Bye, Nick. Do, Fuck do, Nick. Do, do, do. Thanks for Thanks stopping for by. <laughs> You can find our other shows. <laughs> no, um, we have another podcast, Jackson, next month. Oh, okay. Next month. We are playing Murdered Soul Suspect. We might have a guest. I don't know if we're actually having a guest or if we're just being directed to play this game. We, I mean, they've said they want to be on, so yeah. Okay, I didn't know. I, I'd not touched base with you on this, so yes, I didn't know. No, we will be having a guest uh, as part okay. of the guest stuff. Yeah, we'll be playing Murdered Soul Suspect. I already downloaded it. I'm excited. That game's like eight hours long, right? I think so. I'm oh, I'm I'm worried I'm gonna have to buy it again. You don't have it on Steam? I have it on Steam, but I can't really play on my computer where I'm staying right now. I have it on PS4, but the disc is down in London. Oh. <laughs> so I am double fucked. Yep, but that is that is uh that is the plan. Look forward to that in a month. Yeah, um okay, now you can do plugs. I will do the plugs, right. You can find our other shows at abnormalmapping.com. Uh I am at Headballs Off on Twitter. You can find shows such as Second Officer Slug, which is a Star Trek podcast at StarTrekPodcast.space. We read books, we watch episodes, it's a good time. Uh, come come listen if, you, if you're into Star Trek. It was a recent episode that was just about the movie Star Trek 09, which is very light on, you know, you don't have to have watched all of DS9 like a lot of the DS9 That episode was three weeks ago, Jackson. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is Novel Not New, which is uh, a visual novel podcast uh, with you, Six, uh, and Jen. Jen hosts, and you and Six play visual novels together. It's great. Mm. Uh, you just played uh, Danganronpa 3, which basically destroyed all of your souls and made it A so Danganronpa v- V3 as opposed to 3, which is the anime, which oh, I did not watch, but Jen did. Danganronpa. <laughs> 
You can find Novel Not New at the very shiny new URL, oh, readinggames.online, because that's what we do there. Yes, Reading Games Online. It is a good episode. It's a good show. You should you should listen to it. Um, we also have the Amory score, which is me and Molly going through the comics of Coheed and Cambria, and also the music of Coheed and Cambria. It's very ridiculous. It has been on a regular schedule through my school situation. Like, the last episode was me doing a monologue because we couldn't, you know, uh, we didn't get time to record a full thing. But when I am done with all this, we are back on the train uh, all the way through to, well, presumably he has to burn Star 4. I uh, I can't tell if I'm more excited for you to start doing Patreon letters again or for Amory Score to get back on a regular schedule. <laughs> I mean, you're, no, you're definitely more excited for Amory Score because you're not excited for me to start doing... Uh, like, technically, you're more excited to not have to do Patreon letters. Yes. <laughs> the framing of that is very different. I, <laughs> I enjoy your writing also, thank you. But you know, sure. I'm not, I didn't mean that as a down thing about my writing. I would be anyway. fucking... Anyway. Um... <laughs> I need mayo.com. I need mayo.com. You too can need mayo. I do. I need mayo in my life all the time. Holy shit. He's not in it enough. <laughs> he's not. He's not at all. Uh, Fireside Friends at firesidefriends.net, which is Ryan Allen and Katie's podcast. It is now monthly. It is a good time. Go listen to that. Uh, there might be some new podcast coming soon. Um, and we're going to be yeah. like, uh, once I'm done with all this, I'm going to be doing like a little redesign to the website and we're going to hopefully clarify a little bit of like what the website is as we get more shows that aren't like technically part of the Ours, network yes because friends is their own show and it is not like an abnormal mapping network show they handle the editing we don't do any of the work on that uh and we want to make it a bit clearer about like differences between yes. stuff that we because uh, we might have more shows like that in the near future we may have more shows like that and then if there are people i've reached out to that if they want to have their podcast uploaded on our thing that i will helpfully take away their hosting costs yes uh we don't have rules for that so look if someone has a podcast idea, they want to come to us for some hosting, you just send me a DM. If we're not mutuals, obviously this doesn't apply to you. Get fucked. <laughs> uh. Yes, no. Our goal is to use the fact that we've got a Squarespace and the fact that we have our Patreon to provide free hosting to everyone else. Uh, everyone else of our friends who has a good idea. Yes. Uh, it's um, not a unanimous, like, we will be any bullshit. No, if you're a good friend and you want to make a podcast, you don't have to pay um, SoundCloud their blood money. Yeah, um... But, uh, gosh, you've really fucked up this. <laughs> we anyway, also have a Patreon. In, a future, in, a in honor, no, no, no. Uh, in, in all honesty, um, this plug zone will probably be much shorter by next month. Cause I think we're going to streamline it down to maybe talk about one show every episode. Well, um, yes. As all these shows. Yes. We'll. Yes. Uh, as the anything that just ties in or highlights or and whatever. And I go through the Patreon and everything gets a little bit more redesigned after school. Uh, I, this stuff will become a little bit more streamlined. Also, it's a rowdy day. This episode's going to be like two hours because we've recorded another hour of podcast. Yeah. Uh, so we have a Patreon. We are Patreon supported. Patreon.com slash normal mapping. There's a variety of tiers. For $1 a month, you will get the Great Gundam Project, which means Jackson recorded right before this, which is why this sounds the way it does. <laughs> um, uh, we talk about Gundam two episodes every week. It's a very good time. I enjoy it so much. Uh, we had a Gundam question, right? Yeah, that happened in this podcast, not yes, the last one. <laughs> about seven years ago, we talked about yes. Gundam. Um, and there is writing for us every week. I've been doing writing as Jackson's finishing up school that you can read. Um, for $5, you can be on one of these shows, any of the shows, for $10. Um, it's a good time. Please support us. It literally does keep uh, us going and, like, food bought and bills paid. It's important. Um, and, as always, uh, Your Faves Would Never is now out there. You can go to yourfavesoutnever.fyi for me and Destiny's podcast. It's good. You can get our Labo feels. Um, I think that's it. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. Like I said, next week we, or next week, next month we are playing Murdered Soul Suspect. Thank you so much for your patience with this long, ridiculous podcast. Uh, I had a great time. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye, Jackson. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> Fuck off! <laughs>